0: Star Wars Legacy.html is brought to you by the fine folks at Cage Club. So, for all things podcasts, movies, music, media, and more, head on over to cageclub.me or like, subscribe, and follow on all of your favorite social media and podcasting services. This is ForceLegacy.html. Yay. And we're still firmly ensconced in the Clone Wars, but we are approaching the end of the first season. Thank you much.
1: We are going to be in these Clone War trenches for a while, people.
0: And, you know, it turns out there's a lot more to trench in these Trench Clone War War clone trenches than I expected that I'd be able to clone trench out of them. Elaborate. You know, I kept thinking, what is there to show me that isn't the battles that I've seen? And, you know, I I love the idea that the Clone Wars ultimately was going to be some kind of like, oh, it's the droids versus the clones, but it's really the Separatists versus the Jedi, but it's really Palpatine versus Palpatine. And at the same time, it's just Palpatine. But I kind of feel like what I'm walking away from this with is an understanding that the Clone Wars really was a more fleshed out period than I'd expected going in. I'm not saying that I think every moment is brilliant because I don't but it's interesting the dynamic ways the series has changed from the first episode to where we pick things up I feel like my biggest complaint about the kittyism is a lot of the wait no that can't I'm a droid damn it everything sucks kind of like droid stuff that bores me to tears but you know like I'm a bigger Star Wars fan than I was when we started this okay
1: yeah I get that you know every moment of the season has not completely taken my breath away but there have been a lot of really Really cool exciting fun things this season that I've greatly enjoyed right up till the last moment and I think one of the things that I've enjoyed the most is the
0: experience of getting to enjoy Star Wars with women involved you know not to harp too much but you can't ever harp enough on visibility and diversity and there just weren't enough women in the star wars universe and i'm actually really grateful that the clone wars has gone out of its way to extensively develop a world
1: of women in star wars for me to worship I agree whether it's been seeing more of Amidala in action or more of the female Jedis or the first episode we're going to be discussing here with a female senator who starts a little weaker and finds her strength. We're seeing a lot more female representation just in this first season of Clone Wars than we did in the first six movies. First, we will be discussing the 19th entry on the Star Wars Clone Wars Chronological Order list, season one, episode 15, Trespass, written by Stephen Melching and directed by Brian Kalen O'Connell. I love that we start things off with this like Hoth-like planet and, you know, it's sort of like, ah, starts on a nice planet, kind of like Empire,
0: and by that, of course, I mean the Fox TV show Empire, and... There's something that looks really so amazing about this ice planet. Like, I don't know if it's all of like the light reflective tricks they're doing to give it a realistic vibe, considering it's on this super cool snow planet, but they're just like the art looks better here than it has probably all season.
1: And I think it was a really bold move to open an episode where all of the characters are bundled and their faces are covered. You know, by this point, we are definitely used to the characters' voices enough that you can tell who's who but in something like animation i'm not used to them covering characters faces like that you know especially when we're used to a visual version of these
0: characters that is live action like this isn't the go-to anakin who isn't even the go-to version of the anakin vader character so we're kind of like a stretch on a stretch on a stretch but it's a believable stretch and i do think they kind of get away with uh, kind of like an old school cartoon trick of well, red hair, well, heavy eyebrows, okay. well, taller with bigger jaw. You can kind of like trick the eye by using like silhouette and building out the shadow of a character.
1: As for the plot of this episode, it gave me really strong Clone Wars Know The vibe. The arc where Anakin went and helped the Nelvanian tribe who were being experimented on by the Separatist. I don't know which one. Scum. One of them.
0: And, you know, I kind of felt like dispatching with the senator and the who owns this rock thing quickly was a huge benefit to the story. One of the hardest things about Star Wars is packing out all of the ridiculous politics. And they managed to make it go pretty quickly, especially because this is an animated series that's still sort of aimed at kids. You know, that's so many things you need to balance. And you really run the risk of alienating fans, which is one of the reasons I think having these consistent non-separatist threats Kind of reminds us that we're in Star Wars. I thought that was really important, and it's an element that Star Wars has a lot of. You know, it's not just, oh no, you're being chased by a bounty hunter. It's, oh no, you're being chased by a bounty hunter, and that moon is a giant dragon and it's going to eat you. I
1: really concur. Something I was noting in the episode after the next one is a threat that they face is just a giant monster. Because every now and then, every few episodes, One of the threats is just there's these alien creatures out there that they've never seen before that are dangerous and there's things outside of the main narrative of Star Wars that are still threats. the people in the main narrative of star wars and it adds a level of reality to the story that i greatly appreciate
0: i felt the same way about the droids being victims in this episode as well because you know i feel like we see clones die but we don't really see droids die we see droids fall or smashed or beheaded but like there's no oh no the droids didn't see that coming it's the droids are bad guys and speaking of bad guys good guys one of the things i thought was really interesting was they wanted to remind me that anakin has technological ability, so they do it by having him bang on something to fix it. I roll, I roll. I hate that. But I do appreciate that this episode kind of feels like a Star Wars film on fast forward. Side note, I hate the Pantoran chairman. I understand you have 22 minutes to do it, so he has to be an over-the-top stereotype of a stereotype of a stereotype, but I did not care for him.
1: Yeah, there's something about a character whose dying words are, I will die before we have peace. He was very cartoonish very hugely caricature-ish but I think it mostly worked for me if only because it only lasted for a 22 minute episode there were a lot of ham-handed things in this one someone literally at one point says this war is pointless like that's so on the nose but it's an important lesson to impart so I don't want to harp on it too much you know one of the things that this episode highlighted
0: for me is the senator having no power to stop the chairman really has to be so much of how Palpatine pulled this whole thing off the ambush was clearly motivated by self defense and the Jedi and senator overthrowing the chairman is just like what has to happen but you can see how the power structure in this universe is so fragmented and so fractured that it's not that Palpatine was even a genius it's almost like how do I put it you know it doesn't have to be the smartest rat that gets through the maze to the cheese it's just the rat that sees the path and... I think in a lot of ways, don't get me wrong, he's an incredibly powerful Sith, and you can't take from him that he can do Sith things no one else can Sith. But, you know, Palpatine just really saw the best avenue to win more than anything.
1: If he hadn't been born an inherently powerful and power-hungry Sith, if he hadn't been born into a family of privilege on Naboo, he would not have been nearly as successful as he was.
0: And, you know, I think in a lot of ways that is a lot of the Star Wars universe things kind of fall into place and you know that's even maybe the magic of the Star Wars universe how did this person find that person and how did that droid not get wiped and how did you know okay some of it just has to be fate it's destiny you know and that's the magic of Star Wars it's a sci-fi space opera that blends fantasy and science fiction elements
1: You know, in talking about Palpatine and his path to victory, I feel like something I would have really loved out of this series would have been a little more on his specific backstory and... In a manner of speaking, we do sort of get something like that in the next episode as we return to the planet of Naboo, which we frequently remember as being where Padme is from, but is in fact also where Palpatine is from.
0: I forget that. That's a really interesting dynamic, a little symmetry
1: in an interesting sort of way. So I'm just going to say that Naboo is just hyper populated with too much force power. So the episodes that we will be talking about now are entries 20 and 21, season one episodes 17 and 18, Blue Shadow Virus, written by Craig Titley and directed by Giancarlo Volpe, and Mystery of a Thousand Moons, written by Brian Larson and Jesse Yeh. Again, then, keep in mind, the whole arc of this two-parter is that a separatist secret scientist is developing this deadly virus on Palpatine's home fucking planet. And, you know, like, let's pretend for a minute that Sith are, like,
0: a little family, right? Real sick-ass family. And they're cool killing each other, like, nonstop, So it kind of tracks Sith don't care about shit. And Palpatine has absolutely no allegiance to his family. As we come to find out, Rey is just a tool to him. So yeah, you know, and on the subject of this episode, I actually found the idea of like a virus in the Star Wars universe kind of thrilling. I feel like I don't think I ever saw anybody get sick in Star Wars. You know, Han Solo got frozen in carbonite, but that's more like somebody hit pause on him than made him ill.
1: Yeah, and hibernation sickness, it turned out, was mostly just having bad eyesight and being really cranky. So, I liked the whole Captain Typho and the, you know, the setup with Amidala. The horrifying-looking new queen of
0: Naboo. Yeah, she's a lot. Uh, Somebody needs to talk to her about her look, and... I thought that it was interesting that they made it easy for me to tell that it was going to be Jar Jar leading us to the swamp. It was good storytelling. And I say it that way because I felt like, you know, one of the things is our animated shows need not to talk down to kids, even if they're aimed at kids. So I felt like it was almost a respectful way to help kids learn foreshadowing. They're saying, where is this thing from? And Jar Jar's like, ooh, Misa hungry. Misa eat that flysa. Yes? and everybody's like but where is it from where did this droid come from and jar jar's like misa only eat that in the swampsa misa eats that now and is plot device and i feel like teaching kids how to appreciate foreshadowing through Narrative storytelling and relying on trope like that, that was a really cool way to keep the show aging with its audience
1: and aging its audience with it. See, I had a different take on that moment. I believe it was... Padme, who recognizes the specific fly and is like, oh, that's only in this one swamp. And I'm not a big fan of things like that, especially coming from the character of Padme instead of Jar Jar. So if I'm mistaken and Jar Jar is the one who knows where this fly is from, then yeah, that one that that totally makes sense to me because he wants to eat it. He would know where that is. But it's always this, oh, that fly that just happens to be inside the droid is this one special fly from only this one place, and I, former queen of Naboo, know that because I just fucking know everything, I guess. Oh no, in-universe, very annoying, very dumb. Meta? Very good way to teach kids foreshadowing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, in-universe, though, there's a lot of really weird things. The part where three PO asked for permission to shut down because everything was so overstimulating, and Padme's like, No. And he's like, What? And she's like, No. That was a little weird and dark at the same time. Almost
0: as annoying as Jar Jar breaking the droid in what can only be described as the dumbest slapstick. I I, it, uh, I was not happy with this episode till Pippi Longungan showed up. I, and when, okay, Padme was like horny at one point. She was like, send Skywalker. And I guess Obi-Wan, he's old. But like, she was like, you're going to send him, my boy, my, you're going to send my
1: service top. And like, it was weird. Yeah. One of my notes about Anakin and Padme in this episode, like she snarks to him where she's like, rescue me before you kill the droids next time. And he's like, uh, say thank you. And I'm like, your love is weird and toxic and destroys everything it touches. I recognize that it's a ship that exists, but do I ship it? Um, n- no. You know what else I don't ship?
0: Nuvo Vindi and Anything. Because I think the only thing he loves is death. I do enjoy the Blue Shadow Virus. I think this guy is scary. And I even kind of like Pimp, Pippi, Peppy, Peppy Bow? Peppy Bow?
1: Peppy Bow.
0: You know, she is a really interestingly, at least vaguely competent Gungan. I appreciate that. And the idea that it's this virus, this blue shadow virus that had been gone for a really long time and is being brought back and now it's being brought back aerated. Yeah, that is kind of scary. I didn't understand bringing Ahsoka on this mission, but yeah, it is kind of scary.
1: I think you're just supposed to bring your Padawan everywhere. I don't know. I think Vindy was, you know, again, another episode in a row with a cartoonishly over-the-top villain. The whole virus of war thing was, like, very ham-handed. But I do love when aliens with weird-shaped heads have helmets that fit their weird-shaped heads. It did make him look like Mr. Freeze, though.
0: Yeah, a lot of it was that really cool 50s sci-fi horror throwback trope. I do love those very Mars attacks kind of alien monsters. You know, I did think one of the things that was more shocking than anything was part of the plot of this episode is the good guys bomb the planet.
1: I love that fatty little droid running around with the bomb, though. He was so cute.
0: Yeah, I love little fatty bomb face. Uh, Also, Obi-Wan flying in this episode was a little more than I could handle.
1: Yeah, and then later I thought that Anakin actually deactivated the bomb with the Force, so when they cut to the fact that it was the clone trooper who did it, I was like, oh, I mean, I would have accepted it, because Anakin's like, you know, techno guy. Speaking of a really impressive moment of the
0: Force, in the second episode, Ahsoka was able to do so much with the Force, but it was also like very blunt force force and so i felt like that wasn't a stretch one of the things that i'm always kind of like "Mm," is i've never seen a jedi be like i'm going to write a book with the force and a pen give me a minute right so when i see them do things like push thing hold thing
1: explode thing i'm like okay that's the force I thought the first episode ended kind of quick at first, but then when I looked into it, apparently these two episodes aired back to back as a one hour event oh yeah well that
0: makes you know one of my notes actually was this episode ended kind of dumb makes me feel like the virus wasn't that threatening and then the second episode i was like oh this had a much better ending so knowing that that
1: first one wasn't meant to be an ending good to know good to know i don't really know how i feel about the second episode though there were a lot of things i did enjoy from it but there were a lot of things that uh were kind of stupid like the little artful dodger version of anakin from the first movie who apparently were never going to see again you introduce a techno genius who can reprogram an entire droid army and we're just never going to see that character again huh and you know i did think Jaybo added something like not to
0: automatically be like a heteronormative ship king but he could have been an interesting romantic foil to ahsoka if they wanted to give her somebody who kind of mirrored anakin that had nothing to do with anakin i did think that like the padma ahsoka teaming up stuff was pretty great the cross plotting was good And I loved Vindy being like, I was paid to make a virus, not to make a cure. Like that, I
1: thought was really top-notch crazy German scientist. First of all, you're watching too much Chop Chef because you called her Padma.
0: (laughs) And Darth Calicchio, got it.
1: And second of all, your Vindy is basically Doofenshmirtz. The
0: Slyphenator!
1: Exactly. You know, I don't think this was a good plan. I got really excited when they mentioned Diego because I remember that line very vividly from Phantom Menace. So my always curious brain lit up and was like, oh my God, yay. But now it's one of those things where now I'm like, oh, now I've seen it. Now that line is just sort of, meh.
0: That's always the risk you play when you're like, oh, I have this cute thing. Maybe I'll do
1: it. Maybe I will. Oh, now no one cares. Do we flesh this thing out? Oh, we did. And now it just exists. I thought the angels looked kind of like the Kaminoan cloners.
0: I did too. I thought they had a very that but glowy.
1: I just thought it was kind of, you know, there. Less neck, more radioactive.
0: So one of the big things about this second part that honestly did make it feel like a completely unrelated story is that they're in pursuit of this route that's on this planet where there are the giant Bartok from Anastasia bats, and they're being attacked by piranha plants like they're Mario and Luigi, and there's all of this drawl the ghost of drawl like there's so much that is just unique to this episode that doesn't feel like it has anything else to do with that first episode that like hearing that it was a two parter makes a lot of sense but at the same time I
1: don't feel like I was walked there yeah that's yes yes I completely agree there's a kid who reprogrammed an entire droid army and a cavern of deadly giant monsters and plants and there's an energy field preventing people from leaving the planet all in an episode about getting a cure for a virus that's threatening other characters like this is too many things for one episode i did sort of feel like it was dog pile on this episode and you know
0: i maybe thought the resolution was a little too clean i actually liked it it felt like the end of a star wars movie
1: but we saved you you're saved now. The medical droid said you'll be fine, but if you ever have twins, it'll kill you. I don't know why he brought that up.
0: I think he said it'll kill you or I'll kill you. I don't remember. No one's really sure. I ordered two yinglings, not two younglings.
1: Padme, this is not what I wanted. The final arc we will be discussing is entries 22 through 24 on the chronological list. Season 1, episodes. 1920 and 21 starting with storm over ryloth written by greg Christik, scott murphy and henry gilroy and directed by brian Kalen o'connell so i was afraid to love r7 because every character i've fallen in love with in this show either
0: died or was evil and then died oh r7 was so pretty r7 was like a camo droid but like a really cool christian siriano fashion camo droid Mmm, loved her right? I feel like somebody might have found a dead cat and then buried it and then listened to the song of that dead cat before designing this droid. It was so beautiful. I feel like Kentaro should be a member of the Star Wars universe. Kentaro would be a
1: great Jedi, actually.
0: He really would. Dream team. Anyway, I really enjoyed seeing Ahsoka be like a leader in battle led by anakin who can lead her from a distance not to like use the word lead and distance and from over and over again but there's been a development arc over the course of the season in terms of interplay of trust i think putting all the focus on the interplay of trust between anakin and ahsoka sort of weakened the efficacy of growing anakin into an adult under the purview of obi-wan but you know that is part of the duality of sort of that like lone wolf and color. Sort of master Padwan. Dynamic, So I I get what they're going for.
1: They definitely got me to worry about Admiral voiceover for like half a second. I don't want to sound terrible. I kind of wish that he had just died because like... Then you would never be concerned when you heard this voice on the narration. Who really sang it? Yes, kind of. The very first episode we watched went directly from the opening narration into this guy talking. And like, it's the same fucking voice. Voice actors do the best they can. But sometimes voices sound similar. And those voices never should have been back to back. And... And it's been driving me nuts ever since. And I think we need to be seeing casualties of war. And did we ever? This episode killed a whole lot of people, including Axe, who evidently Ahsoka really cared about. Mm, There was a scene where a droid starfighter crashed into the bridge of Anakin's ship, mirroring a scene from Return of the Jedi when an A-wing starfighter crashed onto the bridge of the Super Star Destroyer. They even echoed the line, it's too late, as one of the people dives out of the way of the window, but like, way less damage in this version. It's
0: interesting. I wonder if they'll ever do that again. Reference a line from a previous Star Wars entry with dialogue in this. I thought that Ahsoka being like, oh, I'm so badass. I can't be stopped. We won't stop. We can't stop. Doing Molly. You know, I thought that was terrific. But it did feel a little bit like she lost The legs she needs to stand on to give Anakin a hard time about those things. Like, that really has been one of my big walkaways over and over again because every Jedi seems to want to fly off the handle and I hope they're happy. It seems to me like the number one thing Jedi's get off on is yelling at Anakin about breaking the rules and then breaking them themselves. Even Ahsoka is like, You break the rules. And I'm gonna fuck you up. And he's like, yeah, but you broke the rules. And she's like, so I'm different. I'm special. I feel bad for Anakin, actually. Kind of, sort of.
1: Sorry, I'm still over here processing the idea of Miley Cyrus playing Ahsoka. I'm here for it. I also did really enjoy... Viceroy bad guy in the Kangle hat that was
0: and I love that he was like nope sticking with it not going anywhere this is my plan I want to fight this little boy I've heard this little boy has killed a lot of people so (laughs) I want to be there when he dies (laughs) like the rules in the Star Wars universe really defy logic a lot uh also I loved R2 trying to like comfort his boy like the world's greatest smart puppy and so the whole thing was like we need to build Ahsoka back up it's this gambit and like okay but like this is like a little too big to be the thing that you use to build her back up this story opened with a bunch of death like I don't think I don't know too many people died for the end of this episode to be Ahsoka
1: being like we
0: did it everything's better we came in like a wrecking ball
1: I feel that way about a lot of Star Wars stories in general though I also thought something that was interesting was how the different episodes of this three part arc seemed to focus on different characters in each part this one was a lot more heavily Anakin Ahsoka and then the next episode, season 1 episode 20, Innocence of Ryloth written by Randy Stradley and Henry Gilroy and directed by Justin Ridge it was a lot more heavily focused on like Clone Troopers? with some accents of Obi-Wan. All of my notes are either Twi'lek, Obi-Wan, or
0: clone. Twi'lek, Obi-Wan, or clone in this episode. I loved the little mini-sode that we got of cute clone couple with a kid later on. Just like everything about this episode was to the betterment of appreciating the clones. Mm, the Nara's. yeah. The Twi'lek Homeworld Siege is a complicated story that I feel like they've been pulling together in the background kind of like the entire season. And it, I think it's actually been to their greatest success a huge element of the Clone Wars that had me turned off initially was feeling like there wouldn't be a specific focus on a big story between two major films and instead creating multiple medium yet still large enough but still small enough to go between the film's stories like this has caught my attention and the fact that it's Twi'leks who we think are cool because they stand out visually this is the first time that I've felt like okay yeah I get what they were going for with a season of smaller episodes.
1: I do have to say this is another episode where one of the conflicts is look at the wild alien monsters we have lying around everywhere.
0: And that's unfortunately the first time
1: I felt like
0: the story stretched out a little bit. As much as I enjoy this three-parter, I felt like this could have
1: been 45 minutes i liked seeing obi-wan mind tricking a whole herd of alien beasts though it's a jedi skill that we've bandied about as we've been discussing the clone wars first season and i feel like they're never really sure when and how to use it and i think this was a very clever opportunity for it
0: yeah because like if they had used jedi mind tricks on the pacifists who refused to leave their home that would have been like real dark and real icky so there's really a, a level of where it's acceptable and appropriate and one of the things that set this story apart was the innocence of children and you know this whole thing having the innocence of Ryleck, you know it's a thing but the innocence of children really put an important role in this story we were constantly reminded of the reality of loss now the war has been this big sweeping epic from the point of view of soldiers over and over again this was the first time that we really zoomed in on a possible casualty of war who doesn't really understand and you know we're 25 episodes in and
1: i feel like i understand where they're going which brings us into the last part of this arc season one episode 21 liberty on ryloth written by henry gilroy and directed by rob coleman this one seems to be pretty heavily focused on, like, Mace Windu, of all people. I'd had so many notes that
0: said stuff like, well, they referenced Mace again. Well, they kind of looked at him, sort of. Oh, there was an arrow pointing to him. Because I feel like Mace Windu has been bandied about because he is a significant character. And having him played by Samuel L. Jackson, a prominent, successful Black actor, is so important because of the dearth of representation of actors of color in the star wars universe giving mace windu a huge moment both politically and in battle was a really important element for me and it kind of harkened back to that fight sequence where he took on that entire army of droids by himself yeah from clone wars no the i was actually just thinking that to go back to the innocence for a moment the reality of bombing women and children is very clearly the premise of the threats of the episode especially as it's been contextualized by focusing on the innocence of the children there's so much political intrigue in the middle of war i'm kind of impressed by the team's ability to maintain the consistency of the storytelling the separatists have never become particularly sympathetic and i haven't lost sight of the goal which is protect the republic from falling ultimately the incestuous nature of the republic and the separatist hierarchy is you know the downfall of everything but I do think that if I were watching live with the exception of the episodes that are out of order and the benefit I've had by watching stuff that came later I would be pretty pretty happy with this near end of season one
1: and frankly I'm just impressed even with the way they are pushing the visuals of the Star Wars universe the giant force field bridge was a really cool concept it's something I would love to see executed in a live action film someday if I had a complaint about
0: the end of this episode. It's that there was nowhere to go but a victorious battle. A defeat would have been too defeating. And the victory feels like a foregone conclusion. I would have liked perhaps something a little more. I loved seeing Dooku in this three-parter. I loved seeing Palpatine because, you know, as much as I hate them, they'd missed a bunch of episodes in a row. So this reaffirmed their status as central villains in this narrative. But I feel almost like this either should have been a bit bigger or a bit smaller.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. Like something that occurred to me was maybe I would have liked to see Ventress, but I don't know. Maybe that would have been a little too everything in the kitchen sink.
0: Yeah, thinking about it, and I'm like, well, or maybe Kit Fisto could have... No, I wouldn't have wanted that.
1: I also don't have enough context on how much the producers of the show considered this to be a quote-unquote finale, because there is technically one more episode to this season, but in the chronological Star Wars Clone Wars episode listing, they moved season one, episode 22, to somewhere in the middle of, like, season three. So we ourselves are going directly into season two from this. And I don't know is... Did they move it because they feel it didn't function as well as a season finale as this arc did? I don't know. Maybe it's some sort
0: of time jump storytelling. Either way, we've actually already seen some of season three before some of season one. So it's an interesting trade off that we're following along here. Kevo, looking back on the first season's worth of Clone Wars, if not the first chronological season, I do feel like my fandom of Star Wars has grown. I appreciate Jedi more. And I feel like maybe for the first time i understand the fucking republic sort of oh and like what a separatist is and like hyperspace lanes and trade smuggling or spice trading spice smuggling trade smuggling spice trading i want a million dollars all in spice give me the space coke give me the space coke and kevo until you come back with my space coke where can everybody find you online
1: you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at really K E V O R E A L L Y, and on the Facebook page for this program, husbands talking more or less at Real Nico Kevo Action. You can also find the super cool, super fun, super inclusive superhero stories that we tell, featuring Kid Riot and the Riot Squad over at KidRiotcomics.com. Nico, where can the folks find you?
0: You guys can find me all over this network every Tuesday on this show as well as Mondays and Thursdays on X's for Podcasts. Mondays are Modern Mondays where we take a look at the most recent X books and on Thursdays are Throwback Thursdays where we take a look at the 80s mutant mania and the expansion of the X-Men from a franchise into a line dominating the comics market. Don't forget to look up our website, We are wearekrakoa.com, where we post reviews, articles, and more about the X-Universe, and me over on Instagram at NicoAction, that's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N, and until we come back, ladies and gentlemen,
1: please keep those Kuiper crystals burning bright. May the Force be with you, and also with your Force ghost. <laughs> droid. What?
0: That was me replying in Droid.
1: Oh, okay.
0: Yeah.